0: So a couple of quick things i want to make sure we're on the same page with and i'm gonna i did this two weeks ago and then i did this last week that when we're talking about spiritual formation that we're not just talking about how to be spiritual or act spiritual or to talk spiritual but we're actually talking about the spirit being formed in us the spirit living in us because of our justification we have are by faith united with christ and so whenever we are talking about that it's not just that we are spiritual people, but it's that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so therefore the goal is not for us to get in tune with ourselves, not for us to find our deeper selves. No, that's, by the way, that can happen. We can find our true self. Um, I've always thought, um, and it's, it's fun listening to certain psychologists and they begin to describe the makeup of, a, of an individual, and they talk about how it's like an onion. But you know what happens when you keep peeling away an onion and peeling away an onion? If you keep peeling, guess what you get? Nothing. You peel your way into nothing. And that's, I think, one of the problems, is that if we just believe that we just kind of rip off these elements and tear away these elements to try to find something in the middle, I think what you're going to find is there's nothing there. Nihilism, and you get depressed, and you go, wow, what was the point of that? And yet, when you understand the Bible, it's not an onion. We're not onions. That when you begin to kind of peel this away, what you actually find as you get closer to the truth about who you are, like you're a pretty broken person. Like you're pretty messed up. Like you're pretty selfish and you're pretty sinful. The Bible says that. And as I peel away, not onion layers, but as I peel away these layers on the outside, the tough exterior, I find out, man, Jim's a mess. But keep peeling. And what do you actually find out? That I was made in the image of God? I couldn't figure that out. But God has revealed that to me. And so that's what we're discussing. We're talking about spiritual formation, which is nothing short of, okay, and I want you to feel a little bit of heat on this one it's nothing short of you being like Jesus Christ, you living in every way of your life like Jesus lived. And so. That one quick statement that we all know, WWJD, right? And it was really kind of sad when they started doing bracelets and chocolate bars. It was like, really? Turn it into a cho- I'm not kidding. Chocolate bar? WWJD, chocolate bars. That's when you know you've kind of stepped over a line. But the, the, the basic premise, what would Jesus do, and then following that with obedience, and the Holy Spirit being the power in us to do that in, in the in the Word of God guiding us, that's what spiritual formation is, Okay. So last week we discussed the first of the three, and there's a number of ways that you can divide this up. So this isn't like I opened up the Bible and the Bible said these are broken into three categories. No, the Bible did not do that. We have done that as a church to give us a framework. So you'll hear us talk in our preaching and teaching that we need to be aware of the word of God, the the uh, I want to do this in order. The people of God and the Spirit of God by the way, that's not different things even. It's not like, yeah, this is completely different than this and completely different than this. No, no, no. The Spirit is what, the, the, the Word of God is actually the, the breathing of the Spirit into the Word. And the people are empowered by the Spirit. And then the Spirit, by the way, works even when Jim's sleeping. Isn't that an awesome thing? Like even when I go to bed, the Spirit is still at work. And so we never want to limit. We don't even, this is a wonderful thing. Love this thing. But you know this isn't a replacement for God. No, this is his word. And so we love it and we 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 eat it and we we literally we devour it and we build our lives. It's the foundation we build our lives upon. But it's because it's God's word that it has power. It's not just inspirational, it's God breathed, it's the power of the spirit that has the power. So that's that element. In that sense, I'm very charismatic. very charismatic so the spirit indwells the word the spirit indwells the people and then the spirit is the spirit and i love looking at these three elements that begin to mold and shape my character into christ's likeness i need to know who jesus is and what he did let's read the gospels let's live out the gospels i I need to how, how do i do that and the good news is and this is the beautiful part that we'll start unpacking tonight so last week we talked about studying the word we talked about meditating on the word And we talked about memorizing the word. Three ways in which the word of God can impact our lives. And I hope that you were at least convicted. And then I hope you took it a little bit further than that. And you began to ask, what are some things that I can do? What are some ways? What are some scripture that I can memorize, or what is some where, where can I begin to kind of study the Bible in a way that I've never studied the Bible in that way before, or ways that I haven't done in a while, right? Because hopefully you've been in a really good in depth Bible study before. How do I get the word into me? Because that's what makes us more like Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to unpack this people one, um, and I, I it, it's more than just wow. Um, well, let, let me let me let me if you have your Bibles, turn to here because um, I, I'm not using it as a proof text for why it's important. Um, The book of Acts describes some pretty amazing um, truths about what happens when the gospel is preached. So Acts 2 is when the first message is proclaimed. Peter preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ upon the, um, the people, the audience that are hearing it. By the time he's done describing, and he says this, Therefore, this Jesus, whom you crucified... God has made both Lord and Christ. And the people were cut to the heart, it says. And they said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, each and every one of you, into the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did. And on that day, they baptized 3,000 people. Now here's... What we would have done was we would have went, hey, and now that you're baptized, well, now what? I don't know, good luck. Good luck. Well, the good news is you've taken care of you, really. Your problem is that you were alienated from God, but now you're good. And so, I don't know, go back to your houses and enjoy your lives. That's not what happened at all. That's not even what they were expecting. If you think about, think about the power of the meta, Paul says this, the old me has done, getting born, and then we just go. One of the biggest problems that we have right now in the American church, I guarantee you, I'm up here reading at least of the congregation, that's I think a really conservative estimate, feel like they're on their own. Don't you think? I got to figure this out. I got to go through this pain alone. I got to figure out how to deal with this sin alone. And and by the way, how's how's that working for us? It's a mess, is it not? So here, here there, there can be a terrifying moment. Like, I mean, I know what it's like. I mean, Andrea and I left our family, right, the ones you can really trust, right? Like, it, like that's true, but do you, I don't, actually, I don't even know if that's true, but the ones we can really trust, we leave all of that, we come down here, and there have been moments where we just kind of stop and go, wow, we're kind of alone. And then we go, well, no, we're not. Like, we're not alone. And honestly, I I can tell you, like, I don't feel like we're alone. So that feeling when you stop and you just kind of get overwhelmed a little bit, wow, like, I'm alone in this great big world. And I'm going to have to figure this out. Like, one of the great biblical ideas is that God has not left you an orphan. And He's given you a family. Like, He's given you brothers and sisters. He's given you a whole new way to look at things. And so you're truly not on your own. Now, the problem is you're going, yeah, but I don't want to bother anybody. Get over it. Can I say that as nicely as I can? Like, we gotta get over that. We've gotta start inconveniencing one another. We've gotta start living in relationships that are so difficult and complicated. I mean, this might sound crazy to you, but that you might have to forgive me 70 times in the next 20 years. (laughs) I don't know what number we're up to, but yeah right like this is this is what the bible actually teaches and a lot of us go yeah i never really have a hard time forgiving anybody and if i were to be really honest i would go that's because you live superficially and so do i so i'm not just hear me i'm not just blaming you guys i'm going we can all kind of do that right kind of skimming through the top of relationships you that can't be the three great or three of the great this is the this is the church okay We are the body of Christ. And and Paul makes this analogy. Like, how can the hand say to the foot? Or how can the tongue say to the heart? Or how can the brain say to the appendix? Or how can the, like, how can they say, like, I don't need you? And by the way, the biblical, just the, the logical answer is, you just can't. You can't say that. This is, Paul doesn't go, hey, this is a great way to think about it. No, Paul's actually, like, describing this in a deeper way. Like, this is what it is. We are, according to the book of Revelation and a couple, we are the bride of Christ. Can you imagine? Me and Andrew, get married, and I say, hey, that was great. See you, babe. Gonna go live my life now. Let you know, and I want to get together. So I got married. I got married to do my life with her. Up and down, richer or poor. Like that's that's what we are by the way. To Jesus collectively. That's I mean and so the big piece of that is like there's a relational component of us with Christ, but we are the bride of Christ. Do you get that? See that's what we sometimes forget. You're not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Paul loves to use this, we are the family of God. Three things, by the way, that I, I I mean, I know virtually all of you well enough. Yeah, we, we love all three of these things, and we should. We love our bodies, we love our brides, love our spouses, we love our family. Now, the, the part I pray that we grow up into is to recognize that there is more going on here than we realize. There's a whole lot more going on here than we realize, and there's a whole lot more going on here that God even expects. And you and I have to, two things, two things. You and I have to live lives that are at some level like intrusive on others, and I mean that in a nice way, okay? I don't mean like be rude, but that there is like an intrusion. There is a a bit of like a rubbing of shoulders. There is a little bit of that that, 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 that difficulty of a relationship, it, it is, Andrea's not here tonight, so I get to talk about her a lot, it drives Andrea crazy, and did for a number of years, it drove Andrea crazy, um, why is it that you drive me more crazy than anyone else ever in my life? Why is that? I just don't understand why that is, and she, she get really frustrated by it, to me, it was the most normal thing in the world, <laughs> A, because I've been driving everybody crazy since I was a kid, But Andrea would just be like, I just, I don't get it. Like, I'm not saying I don't love you, but you, no one makes me more frustrated. And I'm like, honey, like, I'm your spouse. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, hear me, not intentionally. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going, hey, I can be whatever. I'm not saying that, but I'm going, like, who else do you have to put up with all the time? Who else do you have to? Like, to me, it just makes sense that there would be some difficulties in life, right? Who causes you more pain? Aren't they, isn't it those that are closest to you? Somebody that you don't really care about and they disappoint you? Oh yeah, whatever. This is what Jesus calls us to. And he pulls us into this. And that's why, that looks like fun. Okay, this is why that gather piece. can you hear the kids, maybe you guys couldn't hear it, there's kids screaming down there. Um, That's why that gather piece, as we talk about it, is a whole lot more than hey, are any of you guys lonely? Because if you're lonely, we can find you some friends. That's how sometimes, even in my mind, I think I probably thought, and maybe I talk about it that way sometimes. Man, you guys really could use some friends. Which, by the way, I think is a a, a sociological truth. Okay? I do believe we're designed for relationships, so sure. But a a lot of people in our church just go, actually, I think I'm good. I got my own friends. Like, I, I really think I'm fine. And I'm saying, okay... Then this is what's going to happen and again not that you have to be in one of our life groups I'm not saying that you but you have to be involved in biblical community Like that's the way that God designed it. Don't always go to some crazy exception That God designed that these things would build you up and without kind of the the body of Christ providing the tension and the um, the friction the sharpening Then in the end you never really fully grow That there can be no, I would argue, spiritual formation unless you're doing it in the context of community. That's where we think it happens best. Like that's where we can best study the Word. That's where we can best experience the Word. That is where we can best be challenged. That is where, um, I, I see this a lot. Um, I tell young people when they're starting, when they first get married, one of the first things I say is, listen, like, you're not going to think this is a big deal because your marriage is going great, so you're just going to kind of go off, our marriage is going great, and you're going to kind of live somewhat of a a detached life, and you're going to hang out with other 24-year-olds, which I'm sorry, but that's what you're going to do. And then one of you in the next four or five years is going to start making most likely some really stupid and immature choices. You're going to start wondering, "Hey, why did I marry you?" And I really remember my last boyfriend; he was kind of cute, and it's going to start turning sideways. And you're going to freak out, and then you're going to come to the church, and you're going to go, "Hey, my wife's acting crazy. What do I do?" And then, and then, here, here's my point. It's it's a little bit, not too late, but it's almost kind of too late to start putting her with spiritually mature women because now they're going to have to sit her down and go, now listen, young lady. And it's kind of like a detached relationship. And I can't tell you how many times this, this, this becomes a marital disaster. And I'm saying, I need you to get ahead of the curve on that. I, I need, I need, you, you need for men and for women, like we need to be involved in biblical community so that As we're kind of going through life, so as I'm still kind of thinking in my head, why did I marry Andrea, and man, I just, this is kind of complicated, and this is difficult. Like, while I'm doing that, I've got Larry and Nelda, and I'm looking at them in my life group, and I'm seeing them, and I'm going, wow, I want to be married for 40 years, and I want to be married for 50 years, and I want a marriage like that. There's something neat about that. That's the way God designed it. It is. It's the way God designed it one of the greatest testimonies that's ever been said, Andrea and I were in a life group long time ago before we ever thought they'd be on staff with Scott and Ryan Irwin. And I kind of did some mentoring at that time. I was a a first-year professor, and Scott and Ryan, I met them, and I said, let's start hanging out. And so we started hanging out, and, you know, we had kids, and they didn't have kids yet, and it was just kind of this real fun time. And then a few years later, I decided to start talking to them about, uh, they moved up to California, and I thought, I'm going to kind of rethink how I do discipleship, like how I do spiritual formation in my students. You know, Scott, we just spent a lot of time together, doing life together, having you into our home, just reading the Bible and just doing life. Like, I think I need to be more intentional. I think I need to maybe get another book, and I think I need to, and I, I kind of wanted to change how I did it. And Scott said to me, watching you put Matthew to bed <laughs> is probably one of the greatest life lessons I've ever learned. Watching Andrea put up with you and why Ryan still doesn't understand why was one of the best things that we could have done. And he said, I don't know if I'd change a thing, Jim. See, there's something about that. And some of you right now are going, yeah, that's what I want. And I, you know, I'm, I'm 58, and that's what I want. <laughs> I mean, so I don't think it ever goes away. I don't think it ever goes away. So for those of you right now that kind of have this, oh, I don't know if I need that. Let me tell you what my dad told me. I don't know if you do either. Actually, he would say he thinks that you do, and I think you do. But he would say, but what if somebody else needs it from you? Did you think about that one? Like, what if, what if somebody else needs your? What if, what, if you're, what if you're right? You're right. You're probably in pretty good shape. What if someone needs you? Does that ever, does that ever get on your radar? Because t- tell me you can at least recognize how dysfunctional and unchristian it is. Yeah, no, we're good, and we don't want to help others. Like, you didn't just, you didn't, I, we think that, but then we go, oh, I can't believe I just thought that. That's what I'm talking about. That's kind of how very natural and normal, that's why I think Paul would go, wow, Jim, I think you're making this a little more complicated than it is. Why aren't your people wanting to spend time together? Well, because, like, we see salvation as an individual choice and faith as a private thing, so we kind of do it all on our own. And Paul goes, wow, man, I'll bet you that'll mess you guys up. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea, Paul. Man, it's a mess. So these three things I want us to just kind of look at, and by the way, these are three disciplines that I want to challenge you to. The first one, and these happen in community, the discipline of service. Okay, the discipline of service. I'm going to read it to you. The discipline, in, this discipline involves intentionally serving others rather than pleasing ourselves. God calls us to help others in order to submit to and to learn from God, from him. Social justice involves meeting the needs of others in the name of Jesus. So that's serving even our community. This sometimes means choosing to perform an act that is by, our, by, by nature humbling or something that will help shape our character. In addition, it can include visiting the ill or the suffering, calling on retirement homes, serving on mission teams, or to clean homes or to even to build homes many things that we do, right? Basically what we're saying there is, there is something about becoming more like Jesus Christ when we act with our hands and with our lives like Jesus Christ. Now, let me just make a a, a quick caution. Um, And you've heard me go off on this for a few years because I I preached it wrong for a number of years and I just felt guilty about it. I used to say things for a number of years, um, man, it's more important that they see Jesus in you than they hear about Jesus from you. I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. Remember that? I mean, a lot of preachers have actually said that. That's actually dumb. Why pick one or the other? You know what people need? They need to hear about Jesus, and they need to see Jesus in you. Don't pick one, okay? It's, it's actually both. It's always both. It's never one or the other. It's always both. But many of us spend a disproportionate amount of time learning about him, and the learning about him is learning about him, which, by the way, I love. I love learning about him. And by the way, I need to know the truth about him. But one of the truths about him is that Jesus washed feet. That's one of the truths about him. That he, on the night that he was about to be betrayed, he took off his outer garment, and then he took a towel and he put it around his waist, and then he took a basin and he sat down and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Like, why? Well, to demonstrate. To live out who he was. Like, this is who Jesus was. Jesus lived this way. I remember the first time, it was, I was probably in college when it happened, the first time someone else washed my feet and I remember going, I so don't want this to happen. I don't want you to do this. I remember the first time, um, probably happened two or three times, students decided, hey, I'm gonna be interesting and they would show up at my office with a bucket and I'm going, okay, sure, I'll take my shoes off. No, let me do that, Professor Johnson. Let me wash your feet. I would honestly, in some sense, I'd like rather wash yours. But there is a there is an act there is something about the act of humbling yourself there, there's something about going no I'll pick that up there's something about going no 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 I, I know I'm busy I know my calendars crazy I know my schedules nuts but I'm gonna stop by and, and see so-and-so who's in the hospital like I'm gonna care for them no I'm gonna make a meal right and I, w- I would even say this hear me don't read too much into this but uh, Something even as simple as, well, I'm gonna, I, I've done this actually for a couple. I'm, can I go buy you a meal? <laughs> can I just go buy you a meal because I'm busy? Can I go buy you a meal? Can I just say there is something, I, I would argue there's something like Christ forming in me like when I make the meal. I think that's why Joe's pies taste so good because he makes them himself, right? He's not like, I'll buy you a pie. He makes them. There's something, there is, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about? There's something about building a house with your hands, there's something about us getting on our knees to clean something up. There's something, like, it is in that act of humbling that we have a, another understanding or appreciation for who Jesus Christ is. Because I, I, know, I doubt if there's many of us that would go, oh, that's beneath me. No, I, don't, I really, I've met very few people who would just, who would say that, oh, that's beneath me. But I, I seem to not think that it's beneath me, but I still seem to find ways around it. I remember hearing one of my grad professors, brilliant man. He would always talk about how um, the, the job teaching was, could be so stressful sometimes. He used to always dream about just going to um, a factory somewhere and just pushing a mop. That's what he wanted. He always used to say, I just, I'd love to just, you know, for some summer or for maybe for a year, just push a mop. Like, I don't even know that's a job, but that's what he wanted to do. Dr. Larry wanted to push a mop. And my dream job is to work at McDonald's. That's kind of my dream job. I love restaurants. I love all that thing. And so my job was like, I'd love to work at McDonald's. And, you know, just kind of, and, and again, I'm not saying that, hey, I mean, for those of you that are like McDonald's employees, I'm not saying because that's like mindless work. I'm not saying that. I want to change a pace. I want to kind of work more. with my, I, I just think that would be awesome, okay? And then the more I began to kind of play that out, I, I would spend most of my time while I'm working at McDonald's going, you know, I don't have to work here. Like, I actually, I've got a real job somewhere else. Like, I, this is just an experiment for me. Right? Wouldn't you be tempted to say that? <laughs> would you be tempted to kind of explain, like, why you don't have to be there because you're more than that? I think I would. Maybe you go, wow, you're our pastor? Well, I'm just being honest. I think I would, I I would want to go, I could be more than this. And, I, and then and it's at moments like that we begin to miss the point. And so there is something in community serving that's why when we say things like man there's this mission trip in Mexico and you got to come down and you got to experience this and part of it is because we're we're basically um, we're tiling a dorm for some people or we're there's this orphanage and we're gonna play with orphan kids and uh, we're gonna help build like a fence around there and we're gonna build a place where they can play and that's what we're going to do and, and hear me, I, I, I know a lot of Christian people go, well, can I just write a check? <laughs> and I, and I, hear me, the generosity is wonderful. And honestly, you can? I just, I don't know if it's the same thing as like getting on the ground and playing with kids. I just don't think it's the same thing. It's kind of like I said to Andrea, hey, like instead of us going on a date, can I just find a great place for you to go? And you just kind of do it on your own? She would go, well, that's not like the point of it. I remember one time, my wife, you know, Andrea's not here tonight, so this will drive her crazy. So one time, Andrea was describing her, the way that she shows love is acts of service, okay? And, and that's, that's her saying, I love you, okay? Acts of service, that's her saying, I love you. And I didn't read it right. I wasn't reading it like I love you, and so she would sometimes say, like, I don't appreciate her. And I said out loud, literally, ready for this? I said out loud, I just have a hard time appreciating something that I would, could just pay somebody else to do. Like, I'll just, I, I'll just pay somebody to do the laundry. I'll just pay, like, I don't really care. I'll pay somebody to make our meals. I don't care about that. And she's like, yeah, exactly, Shauna. She's like, seriously? I can't, it, it, literally, she went, you just said that to me? My point was, well, my point was I was an idiot, but do you understand that there is something, there is something that Andrea was doing there that the act itself, that my, hey, can't we just pay someone to do that? Just kind of breaks down. And I pray that you look at this is the beauty of it. That is that is how we need to respond to our not just our community in here, but the community that God has placed us in. Like that's how we got to look at Stillwater. I love Stillwater, Oklahoma. I love this place. I want it to be a better place. I love this church building. I love this church people. I love I love this whole town. And I want it to and I want to serve it. And I want them to know that I want to do this for the glory of God. And that in the process, that as I humble myself and as I put myself in situations where I'm, I'm almost forced to kind of think through okay don't say you don't need to be here and don't say that you're like just do this that's what we're talking about so then what are some of these uh, uh, some of these obstacles obviously I'll give them, one of them is our pride is it not and then Marva what's the other one time right which by the way any of you had time to to do what you want to do that's my always my response you always have time to do what you want to do answer is yes so i just i I think it's kind of time i mean i get it but pride becomes a big one here's what i want to do on the third one i don't want to say anything i want you to think about it for a moment like what honestly like just begin to really like probe like what is it that keeps you not time, you can't use that one, it's already been used. Not not pride, because even that's a complicated one. I don't I know so many of you. I don't think you're proud like this. It's it's not like that. It's it's so it's so much more complicated than that. What keeps you from finding those opportunities to genuinely serve in the body of Christ in a humbling way? Think about it. And then move beyond them. So these are some things that we were talking about that, uh, or some things that we recommend that you could do to practice service. I love this first one, by the way. Every day for the next two weeks, ask your spouse, roommate, colleague, whatever, is there anything that I can do for you today? Is there anything I can do for you? Um, I have a good friend who's pastor at church up in the Kansas City area, and he just says that to so many people. It was so inspiring to me. Hey, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? That whole attitude, imagine if we were a church that was constantly asking that question and being there for each other. What can I do for you? Um, I, and I, I think it's great for, for people to do that. Sometimes we want to know what others can do for us, but hey, what can, what can I do for you? I love this one. Serve one of the church's, church, that should be a possessive, church's uh, missionaries. Write them, notice how it's not just one thing, write them once a month for a year. Find out how you can pray for them and then try to meet one of their needs within the next year. That's a great one a lot of missionaries that could use you coming alongside and serving them get to know an elderly person in the church and find out how you or your family can serve them this month by visiting yardware christmas decorations which is now gone although maybe they're still up and then do it like find someone in need and here's the beauty of it paul's not in here tonight because he's teaching a class somewhere else but um you know there are it's not like we here's the sad part it's not like we got this crazy list of needs that aren't getting done If you were to ask me what I think is happening right now at Sunnybrook, at a church of this size, it's that people aren't even like stepping up and saying, I need this. So we don't have this long list of needs that aren't getting done. But I think there is like in our people a long list of needs that are not getting done. Does that make sense? We don't know about them. Okay, number two the discipline of confession wow that's kind of a difficult one so you thought serving was hard well we're going to be really kind of moving to meddling now confession of sin is kind of what we're meaning particularly i know sometimes we could use the word confession uh right over here gary if you just come down here right in front of gary yeah terry gary's looking for you see I'm, see hear me i'm here to serve brother here to serve um <laughs> So the, the discipline of confession, sometimes we can talk about confession as though it is like in, uh, like in uh, suggestion number one, like a reciting of confession, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe that the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. So that can be confession, um, and that's an important part of confession that we don't talk a lot about, but actually we're on the other side here. We're talking about confessing our sins one to another, which is a biblical like command that we would confess our sins one to another. And so here's how it's going to be described. Confession of sin demands acknowledging a sin has been committed, which leads toward genuine repentance. Confession helps cleanse our conscience. Merely feeling sorry for sin is not repentance. You can put it right in the margin, 2 Corinthians 7. The Bible teaches very strongly that... There is a worldly sorrow that does not lead to repentance. That's, I really feel bad I did that. That's a human response to sin. I really feel bad I did that. I'm really sorry. I know a lot of people that are sorry and sorry and really, really sorry for what they did. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, not, a, not an emotive response to a bad things that you did. Now, by the way, you might go through that emotive, bad, I feel bad, and then it moves you to what? It moves you through that moment, that sadness, that realization. It moves you, actually, to where you're supposed to be, which is repentance, which is a change of mind. Um, Confession confronts our pretense of having everything together, and confession of sin sin admits our need for justification by Jesus' death. Confession is deliberately acknowledging to a friend or spiritual leader our spiritual failure and brokenness. Confession helps remove any illusion, which we kind of like. Illusion that we are in control of our lives. The discipline of confession allows us to experience freedom by claiming the gift of forgiveness. God promises when we admit our sin to him and to others. We take our offenses against God far too lightly. In confession moves us in that direction now some of us and this is it's it's really interesting this is actually getting easier for the next generation for particularly for millennials they're a little bit easier to do this like um it's been fascinating for me i've now been doing ministry for over 20 years and it's been it's it's actually was really really hard at the back in the day when everybody kind of kept all their cards really close to their chest and nowadays, it, it becomes a little bit, a little bit, um, some, some get it right, some still kind of keep their cards too close, but now there's a whole generation of my bad. Um, I, I messed up again, I messed up again, I messed up again. Um, oh yeah, I'm going to mess up. I'll probably even mess up tomorrow. Do you want me to do that now? Do you want me to tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow? Because I'm going to probably mess up then. It's kind of like, okay, I don't think this is what confession is supposed to be about. You know, there's, so be careful of just kind of believing that just kind of like this filterless sharing of what's going on. That is necessary okay and so i'm not saying that hey by the way we're going to be having a confession time on sunday who would like to go first stand up in front of everybody and share your deepest and darkest i'm not even saying that there is an appropriateness to it i just um uh, lately i've been listening to a bunch of stuff from a, c- a canadian psychologist that i'm really falling in love with named jordan peterson and he was just described he, he keeps telling the story of one of dostoevsky's book uh, crime and punishment in which he commits this sin and it just so tears him up inside, he kind of comes to this realization um, that how, how much this, this sin is tearing him up. And as a psychologist, he's describing how much this sin is just terrible, 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 terrible. And he finally feels release when he gets caught. Man, finally. Okay, I'm glad it's out there. I see it all the time. Psalm 32, by the way, describes that. As I held in my sin... I felt like my, the, Paul, or the, the writer David is describing like his body is being torn up inside. It's like being eaten from the inside out. And then I acknowledged my sin, and you cleansed me. So th- there's a part of it that is, a I, I think, psychological. There's a part of it that becomes a natural human response. I think that's good. I think it should always still be tempered. I would say to you, don't know if I need you to confess your sins to everybody. It's it's kind of like it's to me it fits in that great wide category of things, um, like raising your hands when you're worshiping or standing or sitting or whatever. If you if there's something that would never happen, then something's broken. Or if there's something that always has to happen, then there's something broken. So if you have to tell everybody, or you can tell nobody, you should be able to recognize something's broken. Because everybody, if the answer is tell your sin to everybody, I don't need discernment. The answer is everybody. Hi, let's do this. Hi, let's do this. And if the answer is nobody, I don't need any discernment. I'm not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. No, if you're a human, I'm not going to tell you, right? No discernment on all or none. It's the spiritually discerning aspect of it. Who can I share? Who can I tell who's going to help me? Because sadly enough, my number one concern, and the older I get, I feel more of this. My number one concern is not that it's going to get out. My uh, number one concern is that I'm not going to be faithful to the text, which says that I should do this. Um, one of the best lessons that I've done or that I've learned, and I, I remember a guy giving me this advice, is just do not be afraid to repent in front of your kids. And not giving them my dad, you know, my bad speech, but genuinely, if your kids think you're above. Like saying to them, like a genuine. Again, I'm not some kind of a genuine. Hey, my bad, son. Yeah, we all kind of mess up. Me too. You, I mess up too. No, I mean a genuine. Like that was wrong. Like that was sin. Um, Matt's here tonight. I remember when Matt was really, really little. I would, I would, I would have him when he would, when he would do something that was wrong, and he would feel really, really bad about it. I would have him like talk about it and not. You're not allowed to say to me like, "Dad, I'm sorry," and we're going to pray here in a moment, son. But I don't want you to just say I did something bad. I want you to say what you did. Don't just keep it in this generic world. I want you to say what you did. Like, God, forgive me for lying to my mom about washing my hands. See, that's different, right? Because how many of you, when you even confess your sin, it's like, yeah, it's been a tough week. I've really been struggling, you know, with things. Oh, things. That's really specific. And we even do that with God, do we not? Because, by the way, there can be, this is a, this this can go in a number number of ways, by the way. I I, I think that uh, to try to pick one over the other, I think it needs to be a both and. Maybe I shouldn't rightly assume that we're all confessing our sins to God. That, by the way, would be the best place to begin. And then after you begin to do that, and you begin to find His peace, and you begin to find His forgiveness, and you begin to find like a strength, now all of a sudden, I don't mind sharing my struggles with Tom. I mean, God and I are good. And, 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 and I, I mostly trust Tom. I really do. Like, I really, I mostly trust him. But in the end, like, I'm going to share this with him because, not just because I trust him. That's, that's such an American way of thinking. I only tell Tom only because I trust him. No, it's, it's actually more than that. That in the end, the reason why I can tell Tom is that I mostly trust him, so I think this will be a good thing. And then ultimately, like, whether even Tom messes this up, I'm good here. So we need each other for this. I mean, think about the sin that is tormenting you. So many of us right now are being tormented by a sin that we've not talked about. Like, we're tormented by it. And I, I love doing this because people look away from me in my office. They, like, they're like, literally they're trying to crawl under the chair. And I'm like, no, no, no. I said, look at me. Look at me in the eye. And I sometimes I'll grab their face. And I will say, like... God loves you and Jesus died for you and his forgiveness is freely given to you. Like in Christ, you are forgiven. And, like, and I, I still love you. I don't, I don't think any less of you. Because I, t- I always knew you were messed up because I know I'm messed up. I didn't think you had it all figured out. How many of you, don't raise your hands, maybe raise your hands, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like need that. It's tearing you up. But let me just say this, just for the last, before we move on. This is not a psychological exercise, even though I think it has psychological implications, right? Like, I'm not doing this so that we can become healthier psychologically. I'm doing this so we can be like Jesus. And being like Jesus, I believe, helps us psychologically. Does that make sense? Confession of sin. What are some of the obstacles? Pride. Hey, you can't really use time on this one, though, can you, Marva? (laughs) pride um i I, i'll give you another one fear right fear i don't want anyone to know the truth about me like i'm uh, people say this to me all the time and it's really not my personality i think it's true for a lot of pastors but they'll say you probably have a hard time finding people you can share that with it's just i i'm more of a kind of a guy right drives my wife crazy but i'm more of a I don't even think it's a spiritual discipline. It's more my personality, so I can't really take credit for it in a spiritual sense. I'm more of an open guy, okay? Um, but it's interesting how people say, you must have a hard time. And I say, no, I, re- I really don't have a hard time doing that. That's, that's not a difficult thing. But for a lot of people, it is. For a lot of people, it's like, you're kind of wired into them. Like societally, we have a hierarchy. Now, I know, how many of you, that sounds terrible, like, it does to me. I'll be honest with you. I'm not trying to play do- Like, it makes, that's not the way that it should be. My early bosses that loved for me and cared for me. I loved my mom and dad who were, like, over me. And I'm so grateful that they were. I'm so grateful my mom and dad protected me and led me and guided me. Aren't you? That's what the Bible actually teaches. So can you imagine, this is why it's so critical that as a church, that we understand That maybe the way that God is, like if he does it with lobsters, maybe he knows what he's doing. Like, if God is doing this system, that instead of trying to force this kind of flat world, which really, by the way, cannot exist. Cannot exist. What if we decided to just act like Jesus? By the way, that can exist, and it does exist. That's why I love the stories of the early church, where there would be a slave who would be an elder, and his owner would actually be like a person in the congregation. And the world would go, how does that work? And the church would say, only in Christ. Only in Christ. Isn't that amazing? See, it's interesting. We want to get rid of the problem in societal issues. Instead of saying, no, no, no. The problem is actually like in me. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Are you ready for this? This, is, this blows my mind was in like a uh, uh, was in a very difficult like prison camp um, just I believe just after World War II and you know what Solzhenitsyn kept asking himself and just kept going, how did I put myself in this situation think about that statement well you could if you wanted to blame Hitler and Stalin if you think about it of all the people in history that you could blame who put you in a situation don't you think Hitler and Stalin would be two guys to pick Schultz Nietzsche said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. That's the easy way out. Hitler put me here. Stalin caused this. That's the easy way out. What did I do? And again, not, not crazy guilt on top of him. He's asking, like, what, can, what responsibility do I have? And what can I possibly do to follow Christ in this situation? Man, it's like he's reading Paul, I think. Like the biblical Paul. Can you imagine? Instead of if we spent all of our time trying to fix all the broken societal structures... We decided to say, like Jesus did, why don't you let me fix the societal structures by you submitting to me? And by this is why, what does Paul say? Pray for Nero. Nero. Pray for Caesar. Pray for your government authorities. Well, there must have been somebody they liked in office. No, 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 no. That submission is huge. What are some of our obstacles? Pride. Again, Marva, probably not time. Pride is one of them. Can anybody think of one? What, what, what else kind of keeps us from, from willing to just to, to be in that biblically assigned, again, not making stuff up, biblically assigned, you are over me, therefore I'm going to place myself here. And I love the, the Ephesians 5:21 is the text, by the way. Ephesians 5:21, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. See that that catches us all. Catches us all, male, female. I mean, just every one of us out of reverence for Him. Like there's a way in which I submit to everybody in this church. I just do anybody want to just kind of share what might be an obstacle for you in terms of to what, co- what keeps you from going into that situation? Yeah, okay, that's a great one, Marva. The fear of being taken advantage of. And I hear that a lot from people. Um, my, my immediate response, and although I, I, I wish I could say I could do this and I never get, let that get in the way, but I just, when I look at the cross, I can't think Jesus was going, man, I sure hope nobody takes advantage of this. I always think of that. I always think the cross is like the, one of the most amazing, no, like I did this so you could take advantage of this. But I, I see so many relationships because you're not going to take advantage of me. Okay. Good news is I think you won. You're not going to be taken advantage of and uh, you also missed an opportunity to become like Christ. Turn the other cheek. That whole that whole idea—it's like, well, no, I'm not going to act like that. Okay, Jesus thinks we should make a list of people of whom to submit to—your boss, your teachers, your parents, your colleagues, leader, spouse. Write out what healthy. By the way, I'm not—we're not—and this isn't about protecting yourself. But I mean, this is submitting like Jesus did. So there is a—there's an unhealthy way to submit. By the way. There is a, yeah, I'm not worth anything, so I should submit. That's not biblical. You hear me? Like, I need you to get this. I'm not talking about unhealthy submission. I'm talking about godly submission. So don't go down the wrong road on this. And if you, a, if you have a wrong, I always tell this to, uh, it'll give you a great context. I always tell, like, 13-year-old girls, you have no, 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 no. Never, ever, 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 ever submit to a 14-year-old boy you have no responsibility doing that so sometimes you can make some really stupid choices you know I've got this really terrible boyfriend and he wants to so I should submit what tell me you didn't just say that that makes no sense at all so we're not talking about that we're talking about biblical and if you don't get that then get some help from someone who is so someone who is mature to give you like the right parameters which by the way is what Jesus wants that will also protect you. Sometimes we go, first protect us, and then maybe hopefully Jesus wants it. No, that's not how it works. Jesus, number one, and then Jesus' plan always protects what's best for me. We get that order mixed up sometimes. Number two, read the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, dies in Nazi Germany, and does a, it's a great lesson, by the way, of both... There are other ways that God can teach us these principles about like service and submission and confession. It's by breaking us. Sometimes people confess because they've been caught. You want to get out ahead of that one. Some people get humbled because God totally changes their circumstances. You might want to get ahead of that one. And by the way, there will come a day when you will meet God face to face and he won't be as impressed with you as you are with you. You might want to get ahead of that one as well. Jesus is the model and the example. Love you guys. We will see you Sunday when we do 1 Corinthians 4. One minute early.